Welcome to The Winsome Creationist, where we explore God's world using a model-building approach, interact with a gracious tone, and take a firm stand on the literal truth of creation found in God's Word. Join host Steve Schramm and occasional guests as they explore the mysteries and majesties from creation to the flood, Babel to the cross, and everywhere in between. And now, here's your host. Hello, my friends. So I'm feeling a little bit under the weather this week, and uh, I'll just cut right to the chase. I'm not feeling great. I'm not going to be able to record a whole new episode for you. So I wanted to play for you an episode of the Bible Nerd podcast that I recorded a while back, talking about Dr. Todd Wood's book uh, called The Quest. It's a great book, and I discussed it at length in this episode, and hopefully this episode will whet your appetite for the content inside of it. God bless. We'll see you guys just as soon as possible, hopefully by next week, back here on The Winsome Creationist. Now this week, we want to talk for just a few moments about a book that I read recently. In fact, the book came out recently. I think it might have came out after the beginning of the year. I forget the exact date that it came out on, but I think it was um, just just after the beginning of the year here, and I was I was excited to dive into it. It's by one of my favorite authors, uh, but I struggle to say that um, only because I am not originally familiar with his work through his writing but rather through his appearance on some teaching videos and things of that nature. Now, I'm talking about Dr. Todd Wood. Dr. Todd Wood is a creation scientist. He is a biologist, probably most well-known for the work he's done in baromenology. Now, it's really interesting because Wood is a well-respected figure within creationism. Uh, In fact, he was the head of the Creation Biology Society for about 17 years. Now he leads the core Academy of Science, and he heads that up. And he is an interesting character. There are a lot of people who I interact with, right, on a regular basis who are not really fans of Dr. Wood. And just about the standard reason is They feel that he gives too much credit to evolution. They feel he gives too much credit to evolution. And if you spent a little bit of time on Dr. Wood's blog, which is toddcwood.blogspot.com, you may understand what they mean. For example, he just came out with a book with the former former head of BioLogos, Dr. Daryl Falk. They are friends. And guess what? Like it or not, they're brothers in Christ. And they have worked together. And I think this is good, by the way. Okay. They have worked together and it has given opportunities for Dr. Wood to share the message of recent creation for perhaps one of its most knowledgeable proponents directly to the biologos folks. I mean, he has an ear with this growing movement of Christian evolutionists. And the bottom line is these are people who love Jesus. They are people who believe that the Bible is true, but 
They also are people who believe that Darwinian evolution is true. Now, you're sitting there thinking, well, these are contradictory. Well, we may agree, and I do agree, that evolution in that sense is contradictory, in fact, to what the Bible says about the history of our world. I totally disagree with them, and so does Dr. Wood, adamantly, in fact, okay? So he, he pulls no punches when he deals with these people. As a matter of fact, he's admitted that he sometimes speaks even a bit more forcefully than he normally would in those situations to kind of convey the gravity of the fact that most of these folks do not understand young age creationists. They really just don't. And that's not, uh, uh, you know, any kind of a, a downer or anything like that. It's just the facts. It's just the facts. They don't understand. And so we want to help them to understand. And that's the project of Dr. Wood. And so folks think he gives too much credit to evolution. I don't think he does. Um, I, I, personally, I think he's realistic about it. I think he's realistic about it. I think that a lot of times we creationists are very quick to dismiss the evidence that converges from all of these different areas okay, that lend themselves to thinking that something like Darwinian evolution has occurred. And what it is, is a key difference that we have to understand. This is why Wood is probably so misunderstood. There's a difference between parsing out what the Darwinian mechanism can accomplish and understanding the evidence that would be in support of universal common ancestry. Okay, these are two completely separate things. One has virtually zero, and I do mean virtually zero, evidence behind it. It's the mechanistic uh, form of looking at things. The, the mechanisms of Darwinian evolution have zero, zero, zero creative power. They cannot accomplish anything beyond about the level of family. And to, for more on that, I would encourage you to read Dr. Uh, Michael Behe's book, his newest, called Darwin Devolves. Amen. It is just wonderful. But, you know, incidentally, Behe rejects Darwinian evolution, but not evolution proper. That is, he does not reject universal common ancestry. Universal common ancestry is the hypothesis, essentially, that Darwin himself put forth that we would all be able to trace back our lineages to one single universal common ancestor. And what Wood says when he says that there is evidence for evolution, that's what the kind of thing he's talking about. He's saying there is gobs and gobs of evidence, to use his exact words, for evolution from all of these different places. Because for 150 plus years, they've been amassing all of this evidence that they say is in this correlative uh, pattern. And it, it's in these specific patterns, their nested hierarchies and things like that, that show one uh, life form, okay, one group of organisms evolving into different groups of organisms over time. And they've amassed all this evidence, and some of it looks compelling, such that if you were inclined to accept evolution, you could see how certain things happened. Now, 
uh, uh, you know, one of the examples he gives in his book is while we may not be able from the fossil record, for example, we may not be able to identify anywhere what might be called a transitional form, okay? A stem taxon would be the uh, the proper name, okay? We may not be able to uncover one of those. However, it's hard to deny that we do see creatures in the fossil record as we look back that have some things that are shared in common both with humans and with apes. And we see this progressive order such that if you were inclined to accept evolution, perhaps you would put those pieces together. And that's all in the world that Todd means when he says that we have to admit that there is evidence that can be used in support of evolution. Now, it doesn't mean it's evidence necessarily for evolution, because it could just as easily be evidence for something else like the history we find revealed in the Bible. And again, that's how he believes it to be. He 100% is a six-day creationist, global flood, Tower of Babel, I mean the whole nine yards. But Woods very misunderstood on the point of universal common ancestry versus the actual mechanisms of evolution. And so I think we need to get honest about that. Okay, so the, the book he wrote here, before the one that came out with Daryl Falk, this is one that he wrote uh, with his own kind of reflections. Now, look at uh, anybody who's going to take a, a problem with Wood, I think would be best served to read this book first. I've had people tell me that they've not read the book and they don't plan to, write, to read the book because they read other stuff he's written and that's good enough for them. They don't need to see any more. L- look at read this book. Read this book. If you're going to critique his, his thoughts on this, he has not anywhere expounded upon the thoughts he has in general about evolution and the creation evolution discussion and things like that. He's not expounded on that anywhere as in-depth as he did in his book, The Quest. You can get it on Amazon. It's only 10 bucks on Kindle. Might be a little bit more than that to get the paperback version, but you got to check it out. The Quest, Exploring Creation's Hardest Problems. It was one of my favorite reads of the year. Now look at, uh, you know, perhaps you feel a bit overwhelmed by the dialogue between Christian so-called evolutionists and creationists, and you're maybe seeking to make a difference, or maybe you're unsure of where to start, or maybe you're not a creationist at all, but you're seeking to better understand the creationist take on the Bible in the world. Well, look at both this episode and the book we're, we're talking about are for you. You've got to check them out. Now, I'm not going to give you all the spoilers of the book. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to give you some highlights and hopefully uh, enough to entice you to go buy it. And again, I don't get paid. I mean, Dr. Wood doesn't know I'm doing this. Uh, I don't get paid anything for doing it. I really think, though, now hear me out. I really think that this book should be considered standard reading for any creation scientist, a creationist influencer. As a matter of fact, three Christian universities have already taken this up as a supplemental textbook. Okay, because here's the deal. You're going to learn a lot about interaction, uh, uh, about even the nature of faith. Uh, it's really, really helpful. So, um, you know, if, if you've been burdened down 
you know, maybe by the spreading of misinformation from either the creationist or the evolutionist side. By the way, it happens. It happens. Watch that it doesn't happen in your own backyard, right? Check yourself. Make sure when you're sharing information online, et cetera, do your due diligence, man. If you don't know, if you don't know that it's accurate, don't share it. Just share. To the best of your ability, share what you know is accurate information. We want to create dialogue and, and overcome this absence of it. We want to understand others, and that's the best way to foster dialogue and have integrity towards even those who disagree. Look at this book is going to teach you how to do that. And we'll talk a little bit about those things throughout this podcast. Now, uh, so I did a, a personal uh, summary of the book. Whenever I, I read a book, I tend to do this. I tend to, to, do, to get some insights from the book. And one of the things I do is take a summary from it and kind of summarize the author's main argument. So I'm going to give you simply what I wrote down for that and talk about some things. So here's what I wrote. The author presents his thoughts on faith and his, quote, quest, unquote, to discover more about God through the lens of his own enterprise, biology, as a committed young age creationist. He argues that rather than to refute evolution, the primary purpose of a young age creationist scientist, or even just a Christian layman interested in such things, is to strive for answers to unanswered questions while paradoxically accepting, by faith, that not all questions have obvious answers. Thus, the quest is one of faith, discovery, and utmost adoration for God and His magnificent creation. As a matter of fact, in between the chapters, he includes these little outcroppings that are kind of uh, interludery, I guess, and they are uh, just in wonder of the biological and, and beautiful wonder of some of God's creation. Now, this is not going to be, if you read this book, it's, it's not going to be like any creation uh, evolution book you've ever read. It's really, really different. And I hope that summary that I, I read to you was a bit intriguing. You know, for a while, it was the creationist standard MO to only be concerned with refuting evolution. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but what, what Wood argues here is that it's not really about that. It doesn't need to be about that. And as a matter of fact, I agree. And when I started this podcast, uh, I guess 84 episodes ago now, well, it's hard to believe, uh, this podcast for a while was the Creation Academy. Some of you are probably still hanging around from those days, Okay. And we talked primarily about young age creation uh, for a, quite a while. And frankly, I've got a list of topics that I could talk about f- for a long time just on young age creation. And uh, I, you can go back to uh, a later episode. I can't remember the exact number now. It might be episode 50 uh, or 49, 50. I think it's episode 50 uh, where I talk about some new things that, uh, that we're doing. And so I, I made the switch into this format, the Steve Schramm show. So I go into all my reasons for that, but I started this podcast and, and some of the early episodes um, really reflect this. I started it because I wanted what Dr. Wood wants. I wanted to help people to learn that this was more 
about more than just refuting evolution. This was about more than saying evolution is wrong. This was about saying, no, creation is right, and here's how, here's why. Finding answers to those questions that maybe right now evolutionists can answer in their model, and we can't. I'm interested in, in finding the answers to those questions, and not all, not all answers are obvious. And I think that's true, and Todd really points that out in this book, but at the same time, points out something that's very important that so many people forget. If we don't have an answer to the question, that does not just automatically mean that we give everything up. That's silly. It's our culture that we live in that has taught us that we have to have an immediate answer for every question. If there are things we can't figure out, okay, fine, we're working on it. Let's work on it, though. Right? Do, do, I mean, I mean, have, have, have we left the point where we can accept by faith what God did for us? That's, that's what Todd is guarding against. And, and those, uh, those of us like, like, like me who are just really, really interested in apologetics, man, want to have all the answers, want to have the logic, want to have the calculus of it figured out. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, faith is what pleases God. And some questions are very hard to answer. I love hearing a colleague of Dr. Woods, Dr. Kurt Wise, talk about faith. If you ever go look up, look up his, uh, his videos from Truett McConnell University on YouTube, he does a couple talks there. And one of them, he just hammers in on this idea of faith. And it's just so wonderful to see arguably one of creation's, the creation movement's greatest, if not the greatest scientists, Dr. Kurt Wise, talking about this notion of faith. It's just such an inquisitive and investigative mind to see that man rely on God. It's so inspiring, just awe-inspiring. And we need to be more, I think, in that lane. There's nothing wrong with answers. Uh, you know, I mean, I think of Ken Ham's ministry. They've built the entire thing around the idea of answers. I, I mean, I love giving answers. I, I think questions and answers are great. I think the Bible does answer all of our questions. And in some ways, that's their point. Um, even if we don't have all the, the, the answers for everything that we find in nature or whatever, uh, we do have answers from the Bible when properly understood. And so we want to be careful that we, we don't give so much way to having to have all the logic and the reason and et cetera worked out on it. I'm not being anti-intellectual, and I'm not saying that logic and reason are not good, and I'm not saying that logic and reason are not biblical. Of course, I believe that all of those things are. But what I am saying is, that we accept Christ by faith, by faith, by active trust in something we have good reason to believe is true. But having good reason to believe something is true does not mean that there won't be questions that remain within the details, within the larger paradigm, okay? So that is kind of the mindset that I want to approach this. So I, I have next on my list here that I wanted to explain uh, where wood is often misunderstood, but it occurred to me that I really did that in the intro uh, a little bit out of order. But again, I just want you to remember that it's Darwinian mechanisms versus this notion of explanatory power. Evolution has explanatory power in the sense of universal common ancestry. It really does. It has lots of explanatory power, but only within the last 20 years have we been able to laboratory, laboratory test, really, the mechanism at the molecular level of Darwinian evolution. And it turns out that just as we've been talking all along, we can't get anywhere with 
the Darwinian mechanism. Natural selection working on random mutation does not get us very far at all. And of course, creationists have been arguing this for a long time, and now that we can test it at the molecular level, we can be 100% confident that it is true. So, where do we go from here, right? Well, you know, again, it's this idea that we need to come up with a model of creation that so well explains the data from every field, and that's what guys like Wood are working on. But what keeps us grounded there? What keeps us grounded there? You know, Wood talks about in the book, and I, I love this, he talks about a threefold witness that really keeps him committed to the historical approach to Genesis. And again, you have to remember, this is a guy who has now written a book with one of the leading theistic evolutionist figures in the world. And not all of these guys, but a lot of these guys are, are, are um, very entrenched in things like the documentary hypothesis. They're entrenched in the work of guys like Pete Enns, right? They, uh, in many cases, they have certain parts of the Bible that they believe are not meant to be understood in the way that they're written. Okay, now understand my words there. They're not meant to be understood in the way that they're written. That is, many of them would readily admit that one thing is written, but they're not meant to be understood that way for various things. In fact, and I've mentioned this before, but I have a theistic evolutionist admit to me that Jesus accommodated himself by actually teaching others wrong things. The problem is, though, that Jesus said, if you don't believe what I say about earthly things, how are you going to believe what I say about spiritual things? So that's a difficulty, you know, for, 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 for me. I mean, to say that Jesus says nothing about, about natural things and to say that when he does say something about natural things, he's inaccurate. I mean, how far do we take that? I don't want to get off on that hobby horse, but the point is, Wood has got three T's okay, that he uses that kind of keep him grounded in this historical approach to Genesis, despite being surrounded by folks who believe completely opposite things. He could just so easily uh, adopt evolution and take some of these other views of his, of his uh, 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 colleagues and get on with his day. But he doesn't do that because of his commitment to the Bible. So he has a threefold witness that keeps him grounded. Here it is. It's text, tradition, and theology. Text, tradition, and theology. Now, again, you'll have to get the book to really get his thoughts on all of that, but briefly, these should be pretty obvious. Text, he, he believes the text unequivocally, te unequivocally teaches at face value that Genesis is meant to be understood historically. We see this in Genesis itself. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament, in the in the in the uh, in, in the ministry of Jesus. We see it everywhere. We see that the text bears witness to historical events. It's inescapable. Every attempt to try to escape this is met with harsh opposition. And the reporting of history was extremely important to Israel 
in general. As a matter of fact, John Oswald has showed that that is one of the key things that made Israel distinct from all of her neighbors. Israel was concerned with real choices, real actions in the world. Now, of course, we also, uh, you know, myself and Wood, etc., we tend to think that the genealogies and things like that that we find in 5 and 11 give us chronological information that rule out any possibility of the earth reaching any sort of great age. Dr. Bill Barrick, he's an Old Testament professor, retired now, I believe, but still very active in creation-type ministry. He helps on the creation uh, canyon tours out there in the West. And he uh, has argued that if when you get into the time of the kings, into the period of the kings, some of the genealogical information there is able to be expanded to somewhere around twenty to 25,000 years. So he would place a max age, and he's a young age creationist. I mean, he, I'm telling you, he's a committed six-day creationist. But he argues that there are genealogies later on in the canon that would get us upwards of 25,000 years at very, very most. But he thinks that the, the, the accurate number is probably somewhere closer to 10,000 years. I don't really have a dog in that fight, just, just to be honest with you. If it's 7,000 years, 10,000 years. If it's 20,000 years, I don't have a huge dog in that fight. I, I just, I know that it's not anything comparable to what folks have reasons to believe tend to think. I just don't think we can find that kind of thing anywhere in the Bible. I think it would require an expansion of the Genesis 5 and 11 genealogies. And those seem just extremely tight. And I'll link you to an article that I wrote recently on that. Well, I, I didn't write it recently, but it was recently just syndicated out to the Creation Club. And um, so I invite you to, to check that out and uh, see for yourself uh, a bit of an argument as to why I think the genealogies are closed and do not contain any kind of big gaps. Okay, so we're going to, uh, to, to link you to that so you can check it out. But the text seems to unequivocally show this historical young age view. If you take seriously what the text seems to say about the ages of things and the, the following the chronology through the Bible, that's what we seem to get. So the text, and then he says the tradition. He says the tradition on up through, you know, uh, these past centuries and millennia have held generally the six-day view. Now, you have people who try to cherry-pick from church fathers on all sides, by the way. This happens uh, old age creationists, young age creationists, everybody does this. Everybody cherry picks church fathers. But Todd's the first person I've actually heard really put it into perspective that church fathers had oftentimes four different kinds of interpretations. And I'm not going to go into that, but uh, or, he cites Origen, for example, who is often known for his allegorical musings over the text and his love for the allegorical interpretation. But he cites a passage out of Origen where he specifically and explicitly mentions that he does not deny the historicity of these passages. He just simply d tends to do his work off of the allegorical interpretation. So people cherry-pick the church fathers without seemingly realizing that there were multiple interpretations that they used for different purposes. Okay, so... He says that when looking through this lens, when we find people who are making historical reference to Genesis, that what we do, in fact, find is folks who held something like the Young Age view. Okay? It wasn't until the time of long geological ages were introduced by folks like Lyell, etc., 
that we started getting into this millions and billions of years stuff. And so he recognizes that and keeps that in perspective. And then theology. Of course, the theological issues that come along with the notion that the earth is greater than uh, just a few thousand years old, okay? And we've talked about that numerous times. If you're a listener to this podcast, you probably already uh, understand many of those. I'll link you to another article I invite you to check out about why I thought Jesus uh, was a young age creationist. I argue for that on my blog. and. In there, I, I, I go through some time to spell out uh, a myriad theological details that I think are very important to uh, the idea of creation, of a young age creation. And so this is one of the primary things for Todd as well. Dr. Wood is very, very concerned with the theological implications such as death before the fall, uh, etc., that could come along as a result of taking an old age view. And again, I won't spoil it for you. You've got to go get the book. It's The Quest, Exploring Creation's Hardest Problems by Dr. Todd Wood. you got to go check it out. Now, the heart of the quest is what Wood calls model building. Now, what this is, it's an attempt to build a consilient or convergent model of creation to replace the current convergent model offered by evolution. Now, again, this goes back to what distinctions are being made here between what the evolutionary mechanisms are able to accomplish and the idea of universal common ancestry. A lot of people think in terms of those two things together, but I'm learning to think about it a little bit differently as I read more guys like Behe, etc., who accept common ancestry but do not accept the mechanisms of evolution. Many creationists, and this was me, Many creationists think of these things as the same thing, but they're not the same thing. And I don't think Wood thinks of them as the same thing, but I've never heard him clearly make the distinction. And so I think he speaks in the popular understanding that most people have that these things are part of a package deal. By the way, this would be popular among most evolutionists. I think most evolutionists would say this is a package deal. You've only got guys who were recently like Gerd, Gerd Mueller stepping out or James Shapiro, who has been uh, a proponent of his natural genetic engineering solution. Um, you've got some of these guys stepping out and saying, no, look, the neo-Darwinian uh, parsing out of this does not work, okay? It, it just does not work. But that doesn't mean that evolution proper is false. So... More people are beginning to make this distinction, but I think for all practical purposes, Wood is not making this distinction. So when he says that there is a convergent model of evolution, he's talking about the data that we have from these different integrated fields, general biology, genetics, paleontology, etc., geology. We have, we have this, these data that work in, in turn with each other if we, if we, if we line things up just right that offer a convergent model. Now, are there problems within that, you know, with, with, within the little details of that? Yes, of course, but that doesn't mean they toss out the model. Much like if there are questions about the Bible we can't answer, we don't toss out the whole Bible. It's the same thing. They do the same thing, okay? So we have to understand that key, that key distinction that's being made there and work within that. And so what Wood says we need to do is attempt to build a convergent model. 
a model that converges from geology, from biology, from paleontology, that really offers something that explains all of the data as nicely as evolution does. Okay, and so that's all he's arguing for, and that's what he works towards, and that's what he trains students to do, and that's what a lot of the up-and-coming professors at uh, creationist universities, I mean, these guys are so great, really great. I think, I think of uh, Matt McLean and uh, Marcus Ross, guys like that who are just really doing the work and training people up to become great investigators, great creation scientists to work on this stuff. And uh, I just absolutely love the work that they're doing. And I think that they are going to help us pave the way forward into a better understanding of God's world. And so that is the heart of the quest. So you got to check this book out. Before we go, I want to give you three important takeaways I got from the book. Give my thoughts on them real quick, and then uh, we're done for this week. So uh, first of all, my first important takeaway is this. Above anything else, the quest is about love. If we argue sternly for the truth of creation but have not love, we have failed. We failed. Who cares? about when God created the world, if we don't love people enough, if we don't love people, if we don't love the creation that God made, including those people who we disagree with. This is not about winning an argument. Man, this is, I can't stress stress this enough. This is just not about winning an argument. When I talk to my fellow brothers, and I, I mean, I talk to them all the time, by the way, who don't believe like we do. I think I probably have more friends online who don't believe like I do, okay, than those that do believe like I do. And it helps me understand them. And I just want to show those guys love. I just want to pray for them when they're, when they're going through difficulty. I want to be their brother first. Now, sometimes brothers get into spirited debate. And that's okay. That's okay. But let's act with love. We don't have to just constantly chide and deride people who we disagree with. The quest, more than anything, more than being about convergence and model building and consilience and all these text, tradition, theology, all these things, more than any of that, the quest is about love. Let's show love. Let's be a brother. Let's be a sister before we're right about creation. We want to be right about creation, but let's make sure that we're not compromising our integrity in Christ for it. Number two, theistic evolutionists and many others simply do not understand our views. They just don't. They just don't. So if anything, it is our job to educate them about how we believe the Bible should be interpreted and why our conclusions are not anti-scientific. So many people just have no idea what it actually means to do science. They, they really, really don't. Their idea of science is publishing in peer-reviewed journals. And if you are that person who thinks that publishing in a peer-reviewed journal constitutes science, then please, please, I'm begging you, educate yourself. <laughs> uh, ask me, okay, what is science? You can go to a couple podcast episodes I've done on similar questions. What is science? We talk about that. 
Science is a very particular kind of thing, and it's not simply putting your ideas into a journal. That is not the project of science. Anyway, I don't want to get on a rant there, but look at theistic evolutionists, many of them, and many others who aren't theistic evolutionists, just simply don't understand what we what we believe. They they you know people think that uh, we are like one horned like purple unicorns or something, and that's just not the case. Like, and our, our views are not anti scientific either. Okay, I don't want, <clears throat> I could talk all day about that, so we're not going to. But that's a conclusion I took from this book, and. This book will help you to learn how to be a better educator of those who disagree. Okay? And finally, number three, it's perfectly okay that we don't have answers to every question. We are on a long journey of discovery, and we are but a blip on the map. For our time on earth, we should strive to understand more about God's creation while remaining unwavering and steadfast in faith in God. Look, from time to time, you're going to question different convictions. You may never question your entire worldview, but you may. You may. You may question your Christianity. You may question your entire worldview. But let's say you don't. You may have questions. You believe generally what the Bible says about creation, but you don't understand how Noah could fit all those animals on the ark. Oh, that's a question that has an answer. You may not understand the geography of the early earth. Well, you know, we don't know everything, but we know quite a bit. At least we have some pretty good ideas about the geography of the early earth. From a young age creationist perspective, we have some very solid ideas on that. So there are answers to these questions. Let's just not let the questions distract us from the faith that we have in God. That's the thing. We, we, got, we do understand the faith is not blind. Faith is absolutely active trust based on what we have good reason to believe is true. 100%. That is a biblical conception of faith. But again, I will say, having good reason to believe something does not mean you have every reason to believe something. You may not have every answer, but you got most of them. Look for answers to those questions. But not because you need an answer to hold on to your faith. Let your faith, let God hold on to you, man. That's what faith is about. Answer the questions in the spirit of building, of model building. Man, getting that convergent model of creation so we can explain the world with rigor and with a robust uh, showing. 